0: Um, I want to talk today about something that I've been reflecting on, something I've been thinking on, quite challenged by, and I I invite you to come and reflect on it with me. Twice in the Bible it says Jesus came. The first one we read in 1 Timothy says, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That was his mission. That's why he came. The second time we read Jesus came is in Matthew 11, and it says, Jesus came eating and drinking. That was his methodology. That's how he did it. He came to seek and save the lost and he did it through eating and drinking. Now, I don't know about you, but this sounds like an idea I can get right on board with and Soul Survivor have definitely embraced it as a methodology of their own. And so I want to unpack these two things today. I want to look at Jesus's mission. Here it says he comes to seek and save the lost. People who are lost aren't immoral, they're not bad, they're not unintelligent. Most people who are lost don't intend to be lost. It's not usually your intention to be lost. And you are usually searching, looking for the right path, looking for the path to the right destination. Many of you will know the name Eugene Peterson. He's famous for writing the message translation of the Bible. He was also a pastor. His son said that his father only actually had one message. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. That's Jesus' mission. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, know that God's mission is that you would know and experience his unrelenting, unconditional love. If you're here today and you have already experienced that love and you know it, then Jesus invites you to play a part in his mission. His mission to help people find their way back to a life-giving Life restoring relationship with God. We are invited to play a part in this mission of Jesus. There's a famous verse in Matthew 28, verse 18. We know it as the Great Commission. And Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So this is Jesus' mission, and we're invited to play a part. But we read in the Bible that Jesus has this very simple methodology. Jesus came eating and drinking. It's very simple and I think it's very exciting. Jesus walked people into his kingdom one meal at a time. In the New Testament, we see that the gospel spread from home to home and from table to table. And it spread in its fastest rate in history. There was no marketing campaign, there was no social media manager, there was no clickbait Instagram post to grab everybody in. The good news of Jesus spread from home to home, from table to table, through eating and drinking. This was his method. And as I say, I believe it's one that we can happily and easily adopt as our own. The word for this methodology, this word for eating and drinking in the Bible, it talks about hospitality it's a huge theme throughout the New Testament. In 1 Peter, it says, be eager to show hospitality without grumbling. That's particularly tricky for those of us who are introverts here. (laughs) In Hebrews 13, it says, do not forget to practice hospitality to strangers. So hospitality is ordinary, but it's full of potential. And I'm going to unpack this a little bit more, a bit further on, but just before we start, I want to be really clear that what we're talking about here is hospitality, not entertainment. Many people would say, I have the gift of hospitality, and what they mean is I enjoy hosting dinner parties for my friends, and there's nothing wrong with that. I love hosting dinner parties for my friends, but the hospitality that Jesus talks about was different. When we think of entertainment, we think of good housekeeping. We think of matching dinner sets, beautifully decorated homes. We think of a good range of recipes up our sleeve to, um, to impress everybody. But that's not hospitality, that's entertainment. The hospitality that Jesus talked about was radically different. It was about open homes. It was about open invitations. It was about storytelling. And it was from home to home and from life to life. The word hospitality in the Greek is xenia. Philo means love, and xenia is the outsider, the stranger, the foreigner. We're familiar with xenophobia, the fear of the stranger, the fear of the outsider, but here Jesus has this incredible concept of hospitality, the welcome, the love of the stranger. And so that's what hospitality is. It's the love of the outsider. It's a welcome. Now, immediately, some of you are sitting here thinking of loads of reasons why you can't engage in this, or this isn't for me, and for really good reasons. Perhaps you still live with your family. Perhaps you have a small flat. Perhaps you live in a house share with housemates who haven't discovered the joy of washing up and making the bed. Perhaps you have small children. But actually, hospitality isn't about having a great house or matching dinner plates or even enough space. Hospitality essentially is an attitude attitude it's a heart posture. Hospitality is welcome. Hospitality is an invitation to do life together. Hospitality is your opportunity to share your experience of a God-filled life. This is something I'm really passionate about, and I believe it's something really simple for us to all engage in, and I believe it works. It worked in the first century when Jesus was eating and drinking with people in order to bring them into his kingdom. But I also believe it's an incredible strategy, methodology for 2022. I live on the Meriden. For those of you who aren't local, the Meriden is a council estate, about five minutes that way over the A41. And um, I've lived there for about 12 years. I'm now on my fifth address. Um, I basically move postcode one digit at a time, and the utility companies absolutely hate me. The uh, worst time was when I literally moved over the door and they could not get over over the road, sorry. They could not get their heads around the fact that this was a different address, but everything was pretty much the same. Anyway, I've lived there for 12 years. And I absolutely love the people on the Meriden. I absolutely love the community that is there. And I love the fact that I get to spend time and meet people that I would not normally have had the chance to meet had I not intentionally moved there. And 12 years ago, my friend had a room, so I moved in. And I set about finding ways to share my experience with a God-filled life with others. And I discovered pretty early on the challenge was about time, making time, if we want to look at practising hospitality, welcoming the stranger, the, you know, as Jesus did, it's about having time, making yourself available to chat, not constantly rushing off. I felt the challenge that I needed to be interruptible, not so busy that I couldn't stop for a chat at the gate, not so busy that I couldn't make time for a cup of tea with the old lady next door. But as I began to make time, I began to know faces. And then faces became names And then people began to share their stories and I began to share my own. And before long, my neighbours became my friends and those friends actually became like extended family. And I had the opportunity to share my experience of a God-filled life and I had a lot of fun along the way. I believe that the hospitality that Jesus demonstrated is something that we can all embrace in lots of different ways. So now I've set the scene I want to unpack a few things in a bit more detail. I want to look at the why, I want to look at the how, and I want to look at a few practicalities. So first of all, why? If God's mission is to draw people back to himself, why is this so important? Well, I don't want to set a really low tone, but We're all aware that for a long time we have lived in a culture and a world that is broken and hurting. We are surrounded by people who are seeking peace, longing for belonging, looking for acceptance. And most significantly, and something I'm really aware of right now, something that has kind of led me to bringing this tonight, just so aware of how lonely people are. We live in a culture of people who are so incredibly lonely We know that loneliness has become a serious blight on our culture. Depression and anxiety are increasingly linked to loneliness, and people are not engaged in real relationships. Here's some stats from before the pandemic, pre 2020. A government survey said that 86% of millennials. People in their 20s and 30s, people in their prime of life, perhaps some of you here fall in that bracket, 86% of millennials say that they feel lonely on a consistent basis. Age Concern published a study that said in the UK, three quarters of people over the age of 65, three quarters of them eat alone on a daily basis. A 2017 study showed that lacking social connection is the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It has actual health implications. And this isn't just a national problem. We know it's very pertinent to Watford as well. Recently, the mayor of Watford, Peter Taylor, he cited loneliness as the second biggest problem in Watford after parking. Well, if you've ever tried to park anywhere off the St Albans Road, then you'll know that this is quite a big problem in Watford. But of course, now the pandemic has come along and it's made things a hundred times worse. Many people are still cut off from their friends and family. Social circles have dramatically decreased. Many people are still working consistently from home. My husband used to work in the office five days a week. He now only goes in once. So the majority of his week, the people he sees are all on a screen other than me. which Poor man. COVID made us physically close our doors. It made us physically close down and close down into our close groups and our our bubbles. And now as we're coming out of it, what we find is that people in our workplaces, people in our streets and our communities and our schools, they're desperate for connection. They're desperate for a sense of belonging. They're desperate for hope. And maybe you're feeling it. Maybe as I'm talking, you're feeling it. I'm feeling it. The last few months, I've just been feeling quite lonely and I rationalise it and I'm surrounded by lovely people in my workplace and I'm surrounded by an amazing church community and yet I've been feeling disconnected. I've been feeling lonely. I don't know where my place is quite. And I think to myself, if I feel like that when I'm surrounded by a loving community, what about everybody who doesn't have that to surround them? But of course... Jesus has an answer. Jesus is the answer. In John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. But of course, the church should also be the antidote to loneliness. In Psalm 68, it says, God sets the lonely in family. And the most common metaphor in the New Testament for church is family, sons, daughters, brothers, sisters. So let's look at how. How can we be part of God's mission to draw people back to himself? How can we be part of that invitation of Jesus to let them know that in Jesus they can have life and have it to the full? Well, there's a very famous verse that many of you will know in John 13 verse 34. It says, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's a very famous verse, but the language around it is really important, particularly this first sentence. So, as Jesus is teaching to people in the first century, they're really familiar with the Ten Commandments. Do not murder, put God first, do not commit adultery. They, they know these, they, they know them inside out, backwards. They, this is their bread and butter. And so when Jesus comes in the Messiah, they're expecting a whole load more commandments. New teaching, new laws, new things that we can follow. But in Matthew, Jesus tells people he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He's come to put flesh on the bones. He's come to tell people, this is what it means to live out these commandments. This is what it looks like. And actually, in many cases, he's made them even harder. In Matthew 5, it says, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. I say to you, even if you look at someone lustfully, you have already committed adultery in your heart. He comes to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. But here, in this verse, he says a new commandment. At this point, everyone is all ears. He has got a captive audience. A new commandment. We love commandments. We know what to do with a commandment. He has got everyone's attention and he says, love one another. This is what you're to do. This is the only new teaching, the only new commandment he brings. And what does he say? Love each other. I love the simplicity of that. A love that Jesus teaches us that as we begin to love people, they will discover Jesus. So we start by finding people. We ask the Holy Spirit to highlight someone to us. Not projects, not Instagram-worthy causes, but people. People in your everyday who are lonely. People in your everyday who are hurt and desperate to know the love of Jesus. And when we find them, we begin to listen to their story. We find the story behind the stereotype and we host a space where the Holy Spirit can begin to be at work. We begin conversations that are not focused on ourselves but focused on others. And we pray that Jesus would be revealed. I adore this quote from Henry Nguyen. He says, more and more the desire grows in me to simply walk around, greet people, enter their homes, sit on their doorsteps, play ball, throw water, and be known as someone who wants to live with them. It's a privilege to have the time to practice this simple ministry of presence. Still, it's not as simple as it seems. My own desire to be useful, to do something significant, or to be part of some impressive project is so strong that soon my time is taken up in meetings, conferences, study groups, and workshops that prevent me from walking the streets. It's difficult not to have plans. Not to organise people around an urgent cause, and not to feel that you are working directly for social progress. But I wonder more and more if the first thing shouldn't be to know people by name, to eat and drink with them, to listen to their story, and to tell your own, and to let them know with words, handshakes, and hugs that you do not simply like them, but truly love them. The key to loving Jesus, it would seem, is letting people into our lives to listen to their story and to tell our own and to do life with people. That's what Jesus did with the disciples. Yes, there were these amazing um, teachings and times of miracles, but actually Jesus did life with his disciples. There must have been an awful lot of mundane and an awful lot of boring as they were walking between the towns and the villages. I wonder if there was some version of first century I spy to fill the time. But actually Jesus did that. He did life with his disciples. As we love people, they encounter Jesus. They encounter a God of hope, a God of peace, and broken lives are made new. I'm gonna, there's a quote that kick-started all of this in me again. The reason I've been reflecting on it recently, I found this quote and I absolutely love it and I, I hadn't seen it for a couple of years and it really challenged me. It's by a Christian poet and she writes under L.R. Nost. Do not be dismayed by the brokenness of the world. All things break, All things can be mended, not with time, as they say, but with intention. So go, love intentionally, love extravagantly, love unconditionally. The broken world waits in darkness for the light that is in you. So twice in the Bible, it says Jesus came. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, that was his mission. Jesus came eating and drinking, that was his methodology. And with the time I have left, I just want to look a little bit at the practicalities. How do we love people that they might know Jesus? And what about the practicalities of hospitality that I hinted at at the beginning? Well, first of all, this love that Jesus asks us to show people, it's not an ordinary love. We are to love like Jesus loved The New Testament continues to flesh this out in great detail. There's lots of verses, but there's a particularly famous verse in 1 Corinthians 13 about love. And lots of you will know it. As I say 1 Corinthians 13, a few of you will go, oh, I've heard that before, particularly if you've been to a wedding got a little fun fact for you. I don't know if there is an award for how many times you can be the reader at a wedding, but if so, I win. Because it's not five readings, it's not 10 readings. I'm up to 15 readings at weddings, different weddings, which is, of course, an absolute privilege. I think it's because I've got good diction and you can trust me to say it well. But yes, I've been asked 15 different times to read a passage at a wedding, which, as I say, is an absolute honour. But I often get given this verse on love. And it's, it's a lovely verse on love. It's an incredible verse on love. But to only read this verse within the context of two people is to completely take it out of context and to misunderstand what Jesus was teaching. This is what it says. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others and it is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This verse is telling us how we are to love the people in our communities, even the annoying ones. So if I was to read this verse in the context of My workplace or where I live or the different people that I surround myself with. What we're saying is, love is kind to my 90-year-old neighbor who shouts at any of my friends and family who dare to park outside her house. (laughs) Love does not envy my neighbor who's getting free housing. Love keeps no record of wrongs of the amount of money I've lent out with the promise it will come back next week and it never does. Love always perseveres, even on the 15th attempt of trying. But this is how we're to love. Jesus says. This is how you are to love. And it isn't always easy. Sometimes it's challenging. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it pushes our boundaries. But I always ask myself, what would Jesus do? In a room full of people from different walks of life, whose table would Jesus sit at? In a street full of people from all over with all different stories to tell, whose house would Jesus go to first? Well, we know from the Bible he would go to the house of the lonely The hurting, the struggling, those in pain, that's where he'd go. And so when he asks us to love, we know that this is what Jesus would do. But Jesus is also genius because this is an incredibly clever plan. Because we all know that love is reciprocal. There's no hierarchy in love. Love isn't a one-way thing. Did I say love isn't reciprocal? Love is reciprocal. There's no hierarchy and often as we go to love people, we get back just as much as we get in, as we put in. I have felt such a connection and I've had so much fun as I've spent time with a huge range of different people. I've received love and friendship as I've gone to love people like Jesus loved, but I've also seen lives change as people encounter the unconditional, extravagant love of God. And I reflect that one of the reasons I've been feeling a bit lonely recently is because of COVID and everything that's going on. I'm not able to love and practice hospitality in the way that I once did. And I'm feeling it. I feel that I've lost that connection because it's such a genius plan of Jesus. Jesus came eating and drinking. Radically ordinary hospitality was central to the way of Jesus. Do not forget to practice hospitality to strangers, it says, In Hebrews 13. So as I finish I just want to look really briefly at what that might look like for us in Watford in 2022. As I said earlier this eating and drinking methodology the way that Jesus did it we call it hospitality and it's not entertainment. There's a church leader from a church in America in Portland called John Mark Comer. He unpacks some of this hospitality stuff brilliantly. And uh, and he has uh, laid out the difference between entertainment and hospitality that I want to share with you now. Entertainment is exclusion. It's the invitation of the in crowd. But hospitality is inclusion. It's an open table where all are welcome. Entertainment is showing off. It's the home I have, it's what I can buy, it's the furnishings I own. But hospitality is service, it's tangible acts of love. With entertainment, there is a clear line between the host and the guest. But hospitality blurs that line, you come to contribute, not to consume. Entertainment is sporadic, it's in the calendar, you book it weeks in advance. But hospitality is a routine, it's a way of life. It's rhythmic, spontaneous, it's an open door. Entertainment says, my house next time, I'll pay next time, but hospitality is an act of generosity. It's expecting nothing in return. It's justice for the poor. When my friend and I started to look to gather our neighbours all those years ago when I first moved um, to where I was, there were some practical challenges, but I knew I needed to make time. I knew I needed to be interruptible, and then we just started to find reasons to gather Any reason, any excuse. I think we gathered because it was snowing. I think we gathered because it was the Queen's birthday. I think we gathered because it was Wimbledon. And we started off in communal spaces. We had this weird shared garden that had been broken up into little sections. So when the weather was nice, we'd go there. When the weather wasn't so nice, we'd meet in communal hallways and everyone would bring a camping chair. But then, of course, after a few years, as we started to get to know each other, we started in and out of each other's houses. We started to hang out really regularly and we ate and drank together. But everyone would pitch in. Everybody would bring some food. Everybody would join in with the washing up. Everybody who came to my house knew where the plates and the bowls and the cutlery went because it wasn't entertainment, it was hospitality and vice versa in their house. We ended up calling it family dinner because in a family, everybody pitches in, everybody kind of joins in. There's no separation between the host and the guest. And it was a small flat, so it was impractical sometimes it was quite often very messy not very good with mess but it didn't matter because we had the joy of sharing the difference that Jesus made in our lives last year I moved house I moved half a mile down the road but by my own admission I've now moved to the posh part of the estate um, I don't see my neighbours as much as I did, although I still see them. But again, with everything that's happened, we're not hanging out as regularly. But here I am in my new house, in my new posh part of the estate. And, um, and I'm trying to be intentional again. I'm starting again. How can I get to know the people on my new street? I have to tell you that my front garden is amazing. I took out all the old plants. I dug it all over, whatever that means. I put in loads of new plants. I'm out there all the time watering and weeding. Why? Why? Not because I enjoy gardening at all, but because when I'm out the front, people stop and they chat and they want to talk to you. And particularly when we first moved in, the amount of conversations, because people wanted to know what was going on in the house and what was happening, and people stop and chat. And so now I'm beginning to get to know people, beginning to know names and faces. People are beginning to share their stories. I'm getting the chance to begin to share mine. And my hope and my prayer is that in time, we will be able to share our experience of a God-filled life. So I encourage you to find a way to begin, particularly if you fall into one of the categories that I mentioned earlier and you don't have your own home. Use what God has blessed you with. If you do have a home, can you begin to maybe welcome someone in? Can you host a space where God's spirit can be at work? Can you use your table as a place of ministry? But actually, Jesus didn't host many meals. He mainly gate crashed. So maybe you want to take a leaf out of Jesus's book. Perhaps you're really good at cooking. Can you use your ability to cook? Can you make meals for people? Can you drop meals round to people? Can you ask somebody else to host a dinner party or a a hospitality gathering and you will bring the food? Perhaps you can begin with food. Can you find a way of sharing food? Can you gather a group at lunchtime? Can you sit with others in the staff room or the common room in a purposeful way? Can you begin by finding time, time to sit, time to listen, time to chat, time to tell stories? Can you begin by lending a practical skill, something that you know somebody needs that you can offer to them? And for some of us, we're going to need to be creative. Perhaps some of you have a young family. That makes it really tricky. But can we work around what we already do? Most of us will eat three meals a day. Is there a way of inviting somebody into that space so that God's Holy Spirit can begin to be at work? Use what you already have. Use your lunch break. Can we use our walk to school? Can we use our commute to work? Can we welcome a refugee family or somebody who's new to the area or somebody who's new to the workplace? Can we help with a welcome pack or furniture? Can we cook a meal? These are all expressions of hospitality. The welcome of the stranger. The welcome of the outsider. I've been reflecting on all of this recently, and so, like with me, I encourage you to do two things this week. Number one, pause. Look around your everyday. Whether that's the school gate where you're a pupil or the school gate where you drop a child, whether it's your street or your workplace, can you pause in that place this week? Don't rush off, don't be defined by busyness. Can you ask the Lord to highlight someone to you? I wonder if the next time you walked into your school playground, your workplace or down your street and you asked yourself, how many people here are lonely? I wonder how that would change the way you walk into that place the next time you're there. And like me, I encourage you to make a plan. Think about one of the two of the things that maybe I've talked about just now. Tuck it away. Pop it in a pocket. Write it in your Bible, but be ready to practice hospitality, the welcome of the stranger, when the opportunity arises. Find a way to express the love of God through tangible acts of love. Find a way to talk. Some people just want small talk. Other people are asking the big questions of life. Find a way to ask questions. Find a way to sit and listen. Find a way to meet people where they're at and not where we think they should be at. Find a way to share your experience of a God-filled life. The hospitality that Jesus demonstrated and talked about seems to me to be a very clear antidote to loneliness. And for those of you who may be like me are feeling a bit vulnerable and a bit lonely, remember Jesus' genius plan that love is reciprocal. And so often we get back far more than we put in. I finish with this. Simon Carey Holt wrote it's good to be reminded that the table is a very ordinary place a place so routine and everyday that it's easily overlooked as a place of ministry at its base hospitality is about providing a space for God's spirit to move setting a table cooking a meal washing the dishes is the ministry of facilitation providing a context in which people feel loved and welcome and where God's spirit can be at work in their lives hospitality is a very ordinary business but in its ordinariness is its real worth. Whatever it looks like, your own table is a sacred place. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Amen.